morning. Take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9. Thank you, Pastor Yeomans, for the opportunity to preach this morning. And again, we want to welcome uh, many guests and family and visitors who are here with us. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, today, uh, Pastor's been gracious enough to allow me to have uh, the next two Sunday mornings, and so this morning and next week as well. And so we're going to start a two-week series, and we'll be in Luke chapter 9 for the next two weeks. And the title of the series is just Follow Me. And so um, glad that you're here this morning. Depending on how this morning goes, you can decide whether or not you want to be here next week. Uh, just kind of get a taste of what's coming down the pipeline. But Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We're going to see the unexpected path of discipleship this morning in Luke chapter 9. So let's read it together, beginning our passage in verse number 18. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. The scripture says, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged, if he gain the whole world, and lose himself, or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be in church this morning. Thank you for already what a great morning it's been. Thank you for these families that have dedicated their children to the Lord this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless them in a great way. God, as we open up your word now, would you speak to us? Lord, we need you. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you challenge us? Would you change us with the truth as we've heard about already? And we'll pray, we pray this and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our narrative today in Scripture uh, takes place directly following the feeding of the 5,000. And so Jesus has just done a great miracle. He has fed uh, 5,000 people with some loaves and some fish. And after this uh, great miracle, he's taken some time away, as he often did, to just kind of get alone and pray, recharge, and spend some time with his heavenly Father. It's interesting, uh, Scripture says in verse 18 that he's, he's alone, but his disciples are with him. And so he's, he's alone, but he's not. And his disciples are there, and he's praying and spending time with his heavenly father, his, his father God. And, and he asks the disciples an interesting question. He says this. He says, whom do people say that I am? Or whom say the people that I am? We see at the end of verse 18. He says, who do people think that I am? When you talk to people, who do they say that Jesus is? Look at verse 19 with me. We see their answer. They answering said, John the Baptist, and some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets are risen. You know, John the Baptist and Jesus had been seen together, but some people didn't know that. They thought maybe this is just John the Baptist, or this is Elijah of old, or one of the old prophets has been uh, risen again. That's who Jesus was. But then Jesus responds to his disciples, and he asks a different question, an important question. Some would say perhaps the most important question that Jesus ever asked in all of Scripture. 
I want you to look at it with me. It's very important. In verse number 19, or sorry, in in, uh, verse number 20, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? You know, that's a question that all of us today must answer. We have to answer. Whom say ye that I am? Jesus asks. Who is Jesus to you? Not what do the people say, not what's the word on the street, what's the word on the town, but, but to you, for you personally, who is Jesus Christ? You know, there's much debate today about who Jesus is. You could go to 10 different websites, you could ask 10 different people on the street, and they'll give you 10 different answers about who Jesus is. Some will tell you that he's a, a fictitious character. Some will tell you that he's a historical figure who wanted to be a god. Some will tell you that he was a a good Jewish rabbi, a teacher who tried to lead a revolt against the Roman Empire. Some will teach you that he was a prophet, and even a good prophet, in the line of many prophets that are from God. And some will tell you that Jesus is God, the Son of God, who was born of a virgin and wrapped in human flesh and died to be the Savior of the world. There's all kinds of answers about who Jesus is, but, but how would you answer the question? Who do you say that he is? Who's Jesus to you? Peter, as he's known to be kind of the, the mouthpiece, the spokesman for the disciples, he, he speaks up and he says this. He answers at the end of verse 20. Peter answering said, the Christ of God. The Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. So Peter answers Jesus, and he's like, hey, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You're the Savior that we have been waiting for. And the Jewish people were looking for a a Messiah. We're waiting for a Messiah. The Old Testament scriptures that they knew so well and loved had pointed them to a coming Messiah. And so they were waiting for one. And Peter says, that's who you are. You're the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You know, many of the Jewish people, however, at that time and still today, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're still waiting for another Messiah. Peter got it right. He said, no, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. And Scripture teaches us, we don't have time this morning, but we could go to the Old Testament and see the uh, messianic prophecies, the prophecies about the Messiah and where he would be born and who he would be. And we can see how in Jesus' life in the New Testament, how he was the fulfillment to all of those prophecies. We could take lots of time to do that this morning. I just want to notice one thing from the New Testament. It's from the story about, uh, with Jesus and the woman of the well in John chapter 4. He's sitting with this woman, and the Bible says in verse 25, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So Jesus himself claimed to be the anointed one, the Messiah. Scripture prophesied it. God's word confirms it. Jesus himself claims it. Peter's right. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's a great answer to a difficult question. I ask you again, what's your answer to that question? Has there ever been a time in your life when, like Peter, you have confessed, Jesus is God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who died for my sins. Have you ever confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Are you saved today? Has there been a moment like that for you? Because that's a question all of us must answer. Now, here's where things start to get a little interesting here in our story. Uh, You know, you think, okay, Peter's got the right answer. The disciples are on the right page. I mean, Jesus is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. What's the logical next step? Let's tell everybody we know we found him, right? The one we've been waiting for, the one the Old Testament prophesied, he's here. 
Let's follow him. Let's obey him. Let's worship him. That's logical, right? Look at verse 21. Right after Peter answers, the Bible says, he straightly charged them, Jesus did, and commanded them to tell no man that thing. This is an interesting verse. You know, we talk about sharing our faith and not being ashamed and making it public. And here's Peter saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus is like, tell no one. Why? Well, he, he kind of continues this thought in verse 22. Look at it. He says, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. Jesus is expanding this idea. I think this is the, the concept we get here. He says, okay, Peter, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. And as the anointed one, let me lay out for you what I'm going to do. Let me lay out the path I'm traveling. And so if you're following me as the Messiah, this is the way I'm headed. He says, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to face opposition and rejection. I'm going to die. And then I'll be raised again. You see, the disciples were looking for a Messiah, but not this kind of Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that would take them on a meteoric rise to victory and conquering and glory over the Roman Empire to throw off their military and, and, and just kind of have victory and say, hey, we're no longer slaves to Rome. We're free because of our conquering Messiah. And he's like, no, no, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not a conquering king right now. I'm a suffering savior. You see, they, they knew he was the Messiah, but following him, the pathway he was going, it, it wasn't what they expected. Jesus said, tell nobody, because they believed he was the Messiah, but they didn't understand fully yet what kind of Messiah he was. How could they tell other people, hey, come and follow Jesus, when they didn't understand what it meant to follow Jesus? They didn't get it yet. They hadn't felt the weight of it. It I like in Matthew's account of the story, Peter responds to Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, I'm the Messiah, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer, be rejected, I'm going to die and rise again. And Peter's like, no, you're not. He's like, Lord, be it far from thee. You ever had somebody at your job try to tell you how to do your job? This is what Peter's doing. He's like, hey, you are the Messiah. You are God. And God's like, you're right. So as the Messiah, this is what's going to happen. Peter's like, that's where you're wrong. Let me tell you, God, Messiah, let me tell you what the pathway is going to be. And we do that sometimes in our life too. God, this is what you're going to do for me. This is the pathway. And Jesus says, depart. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. He says, no, 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 you, you don't understand. This is the pathway I'm going. I am the Messiah, you're right, but you don't understand what kind of Messiah I am. You see, in that moment, I think for Peter and all the disciples, they realize following Jesus is not going to be what we expected. You ever had a moment like that in life where things just were not what you expected? At the end of last year, uh, Aloma and I, my wife, we got the chance to go on uh, a trip, which was kind of like a bucket list trip for us. We went to Fiji. And uh, so we were preaching and, and traveling, visiting some friends in uh, Sydney, Australia. And we were able to get a flight from Sydney to go over to Nadi, Fiji for four days. And so we were pumped. It's been on uh, my wife's bucket list. And uh, we're just excited, man, like to, to get some time away, kind of relax, unplug. It's tropical paradise, an island. You know, we were so excited. So we left the Sydney airport uh, on a, in the morning. And I think it was about a four and a half hour flight or so. And so we landed early afternoon in Fiji. 
And we got off the plane, and it's hot, and it's humid, and we're pumped, and we get to this kind of small airport. We get our stuff, and we, we clear through customs, and uh, our hotel was called Club Fiji, and they were supposed to be sending a, a driver to come and pick us up. So we went to the concierge and said, hey, we're looking for the driver from Club Fiji. She said, oh, he's not here yet, and it was kind of a whole thing. We called him, and he wasn't answering, and then, you know, anyways, three hours later, he shows up, all right? So we are a little hot, a little sweaty, definitely getting hungry, but like still pumped to be in Fiji, all right? So we get in this, uh, it's kind of like a little van taxi thing, and we start driving from the airport, and it's very beautiful. I mean, we're right in the, kind of in the, the city, and so we're just taking it all in quietly, and it was about a 20-minute ride to our hotel, and so uh, Aloma and I were in the backseat kind of like, oh, look at this, how cool is this? You know, we're talking, and, and I remember we started to head out of the city a little bit and kind of more into a rural area, and so there's some, some, some farms and some fields around us, and I remember so vividly, we took a right turn. And I remember thinking this, and I think, Aloma can fact check me on this, but I think I even whispered to Aloma and said, like, hey, look, we're headed towards the water. I was like, we must be headed to, like, you know, kind of the strip where all the hotels are. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're driving, and all of a sudden, our paved road turns into, like, a, a dirt road. And, and the, the fields that were kind of, like, in the distance are now, like, kind of encroaching on the road. And, and coming up right alongside the vehicle are, are cattle, like wild cattle, like anemic, sick-looking cattle. They're like looking for a little bit of grass among the, the dusty field. And then running alongside the vehicle are dogs, wild dogs, also anemic-looking, looking very hungry. And, and they're running like up along the vehicle. And we're like, oh, this is, you know, this is interesting. And then the dirt road turns to like a gravel road. And I remember on our left-hand side, there's a crematorium, <laughs> like a sketchy-looking crematorium. So I'm like, this, right? We're looking over, and as we look over, I mean, not 10 seconds later, we hear our, our, our driver say, welcome to Club Fiji. <laughs> and we're like, oh no. So we get off the van, and we, we check into the hotel, and it's a little older, but it's nice, and we, we dump our stuff. At this point, man, it's, it's early evening. The sun is starting to set. We are starving. So we dump our stuff. We, get, we, we head down. It was like an outdoor, a couple steps, and our, our, we had an outdoor entrance um, into the hotel room. So we come down, and we're walking to the beach where there was a buffet for dinner. And as we're walking along this trail, uh, some of the lights aren't lit yet because it's just kind of dusk. And I'm noticing that things are, like, seemingly moving on the ground. As we, so we took out our phones, and we shine a light, and we're realizing that there's frogs everywhere. I mean, every step we take, there's, like, six frogs jumping, like, whew, every step we take. I'm like, this is weird. So we head down to the beach, and we're like dodging frogs, you know. I was like, I didn't know it was frog season in Fiji, but it, it was. And we get our food, and there's bugs all over the food, man. And we're like, our appetite was so strong, and it's kind of starting to dwindle a little bit. And we're sitting on the beach eating, and it's, I mean, it is beautiful. I'll be honest. It's beautiful. The ocean's there, and there's palm trees, and we're enjoying that. And all of a sudden, whew, something runs along the beach under the table right by Aloma's chair. And I didn't react. I was like, oh, but it was like a rat, like this big. I was like, oh, man. So now we're like, we're really kind of on edge. So we head back from the beach, and we're like, we're just going to go call it a night. We go into our hotel, and we walk up the steps. We're dodging the frogs. We're just about to check into our hotel room. There's this big light shining. It's outside, shining on our door and our neighbor's door. And there's bugs everywhere. And I, I look over, and I say, oh, look, babe. And there's this lizard, like, on the wall. Look, and it's like, as soon as we point over to it, it goes, and just runs into our neighbor's hotel room, like right over the door. And we're like, oh. And so now we go in and we close the door and we realize that there's like a three-inch gap under our door, just open. 
<laughs> and so we, <laughs> we went into the room, we sat on the bed, and made sure our feet were up on the bed so nothing could bite us, and we, we just laughed our heads off. We just belly laughed so we didn't cry. And we were like, where are we and what in the world have we got ourselves into? And now look, we had an awesome time. And I understand we were so blessed and privileged to take that trip. We had a really great time. But in that moment, that first night, we're sitting in the hotel and we're like, this is not what we expected. (laughs) We thought it would be like tropical paradise on the beach. And we're like, this is going to be an adventure of a lifetime. And here we have the disciples who are realizing that following Jesus was not going to be what they expected. And perhaps for you, you are understanding, maybe today for the first time or maybe in life you've realized that following Jesus is not what you expected. Maybe it's not what culture tells us or what the world tells us. It's something different altogether. So what I'd like to do in our remaining time is follow this text and just see how Jesus begins to clarify and set a framework for saying, hey, you don't know what to expect, but I'm going to tell you what to expect. Here's what you should expect if you plan on following me. And so we'll learn from that together. Let's look at verse number 23. The Bible says this, And he said, Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's notice these three clear teachings here. Number one, what to expect if following Jesus you're going to have to deny yourself. Jesus gives a call to all of them. It's the same call that goes out to all of us today. Hey, if any man will come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, here's what you, well, you got to do. Number one, deny yourself. The call to following Jesus is a call to live a life of self-denial. It's to live lives uh, uh, that say no to our natural desires of our hearts and our souls. You see, all of us naturally are given towards self-gratification, self-service, self-pleasing, self-preservation. That's our natural state. And to follow Jesus is to say no to the selfish desires that live in all of our hearts. I want you to notice with you the, the phrase there, deny yourself. The word translated, let him deny, it literally means this, to forget oneself or to affirm that you have no connection with somebody. Think about that. Affirm that you have no connection with someone. Remember what Jesus did on the night of Christ, or sorry, what Peter did on the night of Christ's crucifixion? He denied Jesus. What did that look like? He said, no, no, I don't know Jesus. I'm not with him. He's affirming I have no connection with Jesus, denying Jesus. And the, the path of following Jesus looks like us affirming that we have no connection with our selfish lusts and selfish desires. That's not who we are anymore. We're saying no to those things and saying yes to Jesus. We're to live lives that are full of the Holy Spirit, which allows us to forget ourselves and to say no to those things. Christ gave us the ultimate example of this. You can read the Gospels. I encourage you, next time you read through the Gospels, just look for the patterns of self-denial in Jesus' life. He fasted and prayed in the wilderness, said no to his selfish and fleshly desires. How about this one? He he humbly knelt and washed the feet of his disciples. He who was Lord and he who was greatest become the greatest servant among them. He did the job of a servant. He did the job of a slave and he washed the feet of his disciples. 
How about this one? Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, who was God and who was equal with God, wrapped himself in human flesh and was born of a virgin and became a man for you and I and lived among us and had like passions like us. How about this? He, before his crucifixion, he prayed in the garden with great sweat drops of, pl- of blood and said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. What a picture of self-denial, not what I want. If it's possible, let this cut pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. And ultimately, Philippians 2 tells us again that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ set the ultimate example in self-denial. So as his followers, what does it look like for us? It looks like fasting and praying and, and saying no to the things of the world so we can say yes to fellowship and communion with our Father. It looks like not looking to our own things, but everyone looking on the things of others, Scripture says. It looks like not loving and prioritizing our own bodies, but loving others the way that Christ loved them and gave themselves for the church. And it looks like, as we're studying Titus in our small groups, it looks like denying, saying no to ungodliness and worldly lust so that we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The call to follow Jesus is a call to self-denial. So I ask you this question, when was the last time in following Jesus that you said no to yourself? When was the last time you practiced the discipline of self-denial and said no? No to what you wanted, no to what you preferred, no to your preference, no to what made you feel good or what preserved yourself or pleasured yourself or gratified yourself and said yes to Jesus instead. Are you surrendering to the Holy Spirit's power to help you to say no? Here's the truth. We often treat Jesus like the disciples did. Like following Jesus is the path to getting whatever we want in life. You say, I don't think I do that, Levi. You may not. But I want to encourage you this week, listen to yourself pray. Because this week I listened to myself pray. And here's what I heard a lot of. God, would you do this for me? God, would you give me this? God, I need you to show up in this way. God, would you provide for me here? God, can you show up here? Hey, God, can you heal this person? I did a whole lot of asking God to do what I wanted to do. And I did a whole lot less of saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, help me not to do what I want, but to do what you want. And so I want to encourage you this week not to pray, God, would you, God, can you, God, but instead to pray this prayer, Lord, Give me the strength to say no to what I want and to say yes to what you want from me. That's the challenge. Lord, give me the strength to say no to what I want and to say yes to what you want from me. Pray that prayer every morning this week and see how following Jesus looks different. You could say it very simply like this. You could just wake up and pray say, pray this, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. It's a call to self-denial. But number two, look at verse number 23. He says, if any man will deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's a call to take up our cross. Jesus told the disciples to do that. Now, what does it mean to take up your cross? It's important we understand that and not just understand what it means to us today, but we have to understand what it meant to the disciples in that day. You see, for us, we have a cross on the wall as a, as a picture of hope and victory and freedom. But when Jesus told the disciples, take up your cross, none of them would be thinking about hope, victory, or freedom. Because it wasn't a picture of that in the day. The cross was a symbol of Roman crucifixion. It was a a, a especially painful and humiliating death that Rome would use for criminals against the state, for the worst of criminals. 
a picture of shame and opposition from the government level, a picture of suffering, and a picture of death. That's what they'd be thinking of when he said, hey, take up your cross daily. It was especially humiliating. Those who died on the cross would carry their cross, and they would carry it through the town so everyone could see, and their family's name and their name would be brought shame because of the crimes they had committed. Then they would be hung publicly naked on the cross so that everyone could see what a terrible thing they did. It was a painful death, a slow and agonizing death, and where they would try to push up through the nail that had been driven through their feet just so they could get another breath and eventually die a, a slow death of, of suffocation. And if they weren't dying fast enough, then the Romans would come and break their legs. They could no longer get another breath. And so when Jesus says, hey, take up your cross daily, that's what the disciples are thinking about. So when Jesus says, hey, follow me, and in following me, take up your cross, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you're following me in a life of opposition. To sometimes be mocked, humiliated, and rejected. Sometimes by those who know you and love you the best. Sometimes by those who are in authority over you. It's a call to follow me in a life of suffering. To experience and embrace real pain, difficulty, and trials as the pathway to grow us and mature us to be more like Jesus. He said, hey, ultimately, you're following me in a life of death. Dying to yourself. Dying to your ambitions. Dying to your own goals, your own pleasures, so that you can follow me. This is something Christ calls us to daily <laughs> die to yourself. Wow. Paul says this in Galatians 2. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I, every day I die. I'm crucified with Christ. My life is no longer about me and my dreams, my goals, my aspirations. It's not about Paul anymore. I'm alive, yes, but I'm alive unto God, and I'm dead to myself. That's the call of following Jesus, to take up our cross. And lastly, very simply, it's denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. The, wor the world uses the term follow a lot today, right? How many followers do you have? Who are you following? You know, what influencers do you follow? So here's the question to you this morning. Who are you following? Who is influencing you? Is it sports or culture, entertainment? Are you following after pleasure, comfort, riches, success, you know, happy family, following after tradition? What is it that motivates you? What is it that you're following after? What is it you're going after in life? Are you following those things or are you following Jesus? And you might ask and say, well, how do I really know? When was the last time in following Jesus that you experienced opposition or rejection because of his name? You ever lived a life in so following pursuit of Jesus that people rejected you? Not because of you, but because of him? When was the last time you suffered and walked through trials that caused you to grow and be more holy and be more like Jesus? When was the last time you put to death a selfish desire and ambition and humbly chose to serve God and others instead? When was the last time that thought or that desire, that lust came into your mind and you're like, no, I'm killing that desire. I'm saying no. I'm not associating with it. I'm humbly choosing to do the will of my Father. 
So many today would say, like, you know, I, I really like Jesus. I'm not really into church or, you know, organized religion, but I, I love the message of Jesus. You know, he's radical, and I'm into that. Hey, that's great. But what if following Jesus looks like pain and opposition and rejection and suffering long before it ever looks like glory or overthrowing the government? Is that still a kind of Jesus that you're interested in following? You see, it's not what the disciples expected. You see now why Jesus said, hey, tell no one. Don't go tell everyone. Because they didn't understand themselves yet the weight, the severity, the, 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 the seriousness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not something to be taken lightly. It wasn't then, it's not today. So here's the next logical question, and this is how I want to kind of tie all things together. The, the question that's got to be asked is why? <laughs> if following Jesus is identifying with a life of opposition and rejection and suffering and death. Why do it? Why not say yes to comfort? Why not say yes to pleasures? Why not say yes to the things of this world and our own desires? Why would anyone walk the path of Jesus? Well, I think Jesus answers, us, answers that question for us in the text. The next three verses all start with the word for. So quickly, we're going to see three reasons, three answers to the question of why should we walk the path of Jesus. Look at verse number 24. He says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Number one, why? Because losing our lives for Christ is the pathway to finding life. Losing our lives for Christ is the pathway to finding life life. Now, I know that this verse and that statement, it's a paradox. It seems confusing, and it sort of is. He says, hey, you want to lose your life? Save it. You want to find life and experience life? Lose it. Clearly, there's two different lives that are being spoken of here, right? And so, we, we see he's talking about our material, physical life, and he's talking about our spiritual and eternal soul. These two things. He's saying if you say yes to your material and physical desires, and you say yes to your comfort and yes to your ambition, you may live a life without opposition, you may live a life without suffering, but you will never experience abundant and eternal life. So you can hold on to your life. You can have comfort. You can have ease. You can have everything that your heart desires, but don't expect to ever experience abundant and eternal life. Because whosoever loses their material life for Christ's sake will find eternal and abundant life forever. Number two, look at verse number 25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Number two, you could have everything in life but lose your soul. You could have everything in life but lose your soul. You can follow after comfort and desires. You can be successful in the world's eyes. You could get to the end of your life and say, I had it all. I had the girl and the house and the job and the retirement, and I've traveled the world, and I've never missed out on experience. I mean, I've done everything I want to do. And you can get to the end of your life, and you can lose your soul. That's the decision we make. That's the trade-off that we make. What a tragedy that on this short little journey on earth, you could have it all and then spend eternity separated from the God who loves you and gave himself for you. If that's the trade we make, it's a terrible deal. 
we get the bum end of that trade. I love how Mark says this in his narrative of this gospel. He says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, he says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give? You could have everything, but is everything this world has to offer worth trading in your soul? It's not, friend. What amount of money would you trade for your soul? Let's look at verse number 26. He says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. The last reason, why should we walk the path of following Jesus, even though it's hard and difficult? Because one day God will judge the world. Jesus is coming back. And as if we choose to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus in this life, then one day we can stand before him as he returns unashamed. But if in this life we choose to deny Jesus and say yes to ourselves, then Jesus will return and he will deny us. Here's the choice that's at stake. The choice is getting to the day of judgment and looking him in the face and hearing, depart from me, I never knew you, or hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what's at stake. God will judge the world one day, and Jesus will return. And if we are living for him today, then he will not be ashamed of us, and we will not be ashamed in the day of judgment. But if we say yes to ourselves and say no and deny God today, then he will deny us and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so, friend, as we finish, I want to remind you about the call from Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. He gives all of us a call to follow him, to go after him. And it may be that the path of following Jesus does not look like you thought it would. Maybe you, like the disciples, thought that Jesus would just bring things that you wanted and give you everything you needed, and, and it, it wouldn't involve all the suffering and difficulty and pain. I tell you today, it's not going to be easy. It's not without opposition. It won't be without suffering. And it will not be without self-denial and death. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Look at verse number 22, and I want to finish here. I want to remind you of the words of Jesus. He said this, hey, this is what the pathway is going to look like, guys. The Son of Man, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain, and watch this, and be raised the third day. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead. He died for our sins, yes, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again, and he did uh, exercise victory over sin and death and the grave. And that's why the cross is no longer just a symbol of death, but it is a symbol of life and of hope and of victory. But we never join Christ in his resurrection if we don't join him in his death. You see, the end goal is glory, absolutely, but the pathway is not through overthrowing the government. The pathway is by following the path laid out by a suffering Savior who said, I'll be opposed, I'll be rejected, I'm going to die. But that's not the end of the story. And so, friend, I want you to experience resurrection life. Eternal life, yes. A home in heaven, yes. An abundant life today. But we never experience it 
unless we follow the path that Jesus laid out for us. In following him, it's saying, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. That's the pathway to abundant and eternal life. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed.